So welcome. Thank you very much for um, joining me today. Um, you know, obviously with uh, our recent purchase in, in our home down in Arizona, you guys have been just amazing at, you know, managing it and really just like rolling with everything. So really appreciate you guys coming in and, and having this chat. So um, for those of you out there, this is Rick and Jen. They're the owners of Old Town Rental down in Scottsdale. Um, and I found, I wanted to sit down with them because again, we bought a house during kind of the pandemic, right? In July. And, um, one of the major factors or reasons why we felt so comfortable purchasing, um, down in Arizona of all places, which we really don't have a lot of tie to was really because we knew Rick and Jen were on the ground and kind of, were going to help us get through the, you know, what do we do short-term rental wise and kind of really you know, lend their expertise and, and help us um, kind of navigate that portion. And actually it's been a huge success for us so far. I mean, we've been just up and running what, like two full months or something like that. Um, and you guys have just done a great job. And I think um, looking at your business and what you guys have built and how organized you are and like all the properties that you guys are um, representing and, and just how the properties actually look, whether that's social media or on all the other like listing sites, you guys just really nail it. And so I felt like it was a good opportunity to bring you guys on here to talk a little bit about short-term rentals in general, because we, uh, in the real estate market, you know, we get asked all the time, Hey, I want to buy this property. And, um, I'm thinking about doing a short-term rental, or I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe living in it or renting out one of my rooms or something while I'm living in the property. Um, and those questions come up and, and they can be a very lucrative, um, you know, for the, the property owners, uh, whether or not it's just a straight up investment property, maybe it's a secondary, um, you know, property that their homeowner is visiting when they want to, and then they're renting it, you know, when they're not there or if they're living there and, and, um, it's just extra income that's coming through the door. So, um, I do know a lot of people now, especially in Seattle are kind of looking at other markets to move their money around in, um, right. and selling up here and kind of looking, well, what's important to me? Where do I want to be in certain months of the year? Um, you know, we're, work from home has had a huge impact. Um, I think also on the mindset of investment properties, because it's getting people to think, you know, outside the box, like I could live actually somewhere else for three months or six months of the year, um, or commute, you know, here or there. And so it kind of just opened everyone's eyes up to, okay, well, what do I really want to do? And where do I want to spend my money? And, and, you know, those type of questions, life questions, right? Right. Again, I think that you guys um, have done a fabulous job. And so I wanted to bring your knowledge and expertise to people who are, you know, kind of thinking about doing the same thing, um, whether they have properties up here in Seattle, or maybe they're zeroing in on the Arizona market, which we know is, you know, super lucrative and has been very successful for a lot of people this year. Um, and, uh, so I felt a good time. Let's just kind of chat a little bit about you guys and your story first, and then we'll kind of dig into, um, the specifics about, you know, managing short-term rentals and what that means and all that good stuff. We started back in what, December, 2016. Yeah. Okay. So that's when we got our first condo and we actually gutted it and renovated it and it was a very very stressful time for both of us <laughs> so there's a lot of work that goes into remodeling a place um but we went through some contractors and it ended up just working out amazing for us and then what six months later we ended up buying our second condo and it kind of just grew from there yeah we, we bought the first one with the intention of trying the Airbnb market. Mm -hmm. We'd obviously stayed at Airbnbs. We travel overseas and, and domestically. So, you know, we wanted to obviously check, it, you know, knowing that Arizona was a, a good market for it and, you know, finding 
the kind of diamond in the rough as far as a condo that allowed it, you know, and then we went into this one needed some love before we could get it up and running, but you know, we were happy that we did. And that's kind of where it blossomed. You know, once we had the two, you know, it, it turned into an actual business. I mean, we were running them as a business, obviously it's, it, but uh, we had a guest that stayed in one that was like, Hey, I like what you guys got going on here. I want to buy one. And we set him up with our real estate buddy and he put an offer in the next day. He said, I'm only going to do it if you guys will run it for us. Cause he was from San Francisco and that's kind of where it just, you know, grew from there and, you know, originally word of mouth and, and, and obviously from there, it's just blown up. So how many properties do you guys have in your portfolio now? We've got 20 now, just we're sitting in the 20th property right now as we get it ready to go live. Gotcha. Cool. And so um, part of kind of that process, I guess, with, getting up to speed. I mean, you you guys both have um, other jobs, but you're kind of migrating now to this being kind of your full-time thing. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. right. yeah. I started doing it full-time at the end of last summer and gotcha. we're slowly finding that it's going to require both of us <laughs> as we grow and as we scale, it's, it's that it, it's a full-time job. There's no question, at least for one of us, if not both. Mm-hmm. Yep. And are you just, you're central to Scottsdale, Phoenix, or what other areas in Arizona do you guys manage? Scottsdale, Phoenix, Tempe. More or less the Phoenix metro yeah. right now. We keep, we, we get inquiries now and then from Sedona, Flagstaff. That might be a market that we, you know, delve into farther yep. down the road. But for right now, Phoenix metro, you know, it's obviously where we live and where we play. So we have a pretty good grasp on you know, what's popular, where to be, you know, all that sort of thing. So it makes it that much easier if we're, you know, we manage the property side by side with the ones that we own. So, you know, and that being in our backyard makes it a heck of a lot easier. Yep, for sure. Good. Well, why don't we kind of jump into, um, you know, the mindset of, let's say someone comes and and they're like, I want to buy an investment property, a short-term rental. Um, what are the things that you guys recommend, I guess, for um, investors to look for in a property when they're out there searching, um, like certain you know attributes of the property itself that you think would be very successful? I mean, just like with any real estate transaction, location is probably the number one key. Mm-hmm. Um, I, obviously, if the home, if you're looking at a single family home, if it's in an area that's sanctioned by an HOA uh, or not, I mean, that's a big part of it you know, looking at the neighborhood as a whole, you know, obviously you can have the nicest house in the neighborhood, but if they're driving through, you know, a rough part of the neighborhood to uh-huh. get to it, you know, you can have the best property around, but you know, if they're afraid to leave or, or come and go, then it's a little bit of an issue. So location plays a big part. Um, obviously you're, you know, when it comes to some of the peak season type activities, you know, being in close proximity is most of that, but the Phoenix metro area is so large that there's, you know, so many great neighborhoods and suburbs that, you know, a lot of people don't think about that's, you know, just a stone's throw from 10 golf courses or, you know, Scottsdale stadium, as far as, um, you know, being close to spring training ball fields, you know, talking stick, you know, some of the attractions that are here and there's in, I mean, literally every time we turn around, they're adding some sort of new attraction and they're, they're spread out, you know, all over the place. So, it makes the Phoenix metro area easy because from anywhere that you are, you can go 15 minutes in either direction and, and, you know, end up in one of the attraction places, old town, fashion square, talking stick, golf courses, spring training, Westworld, you know, yep. and I think so location is probably the biggest. 
and we're actually kind of seeing location, location, obviously that is number one in real estate, but we also actually are seeing a lot of um, these cabins up here in the Pacific Northwest that people like remote areas that right. are going, that's definitely COVID sparred, but um, that's also been as long, you know, the house and has some sort of feature around it, right? So like it has a gorgeous view or it's on a lake or it's in like this, you know, fantasy wooded, you know, um, scene, scenery. So we're seeing that as well. So I, I think that location, location, but also COVID has has pushed people into kind of exploring other other areas too. That's, that's oh, yeah. definitely becoming more prevalent. I mean, not just COVID, you know, inspired location, but I mean, just in general, we've gone from, I think when we started, they used to have some ranking metrics that you could look at online that, you know, when we started, there was 2,800, you know, comparable, you know, short-term rental properties. Now there's 9,000, you yeah. know, so finding something that's got some character, whether it's part of the neighborhood or like you said, the view or something, you know, finding those homes that have some character or that you can create some character, you know, in the home that's already there with a little bit of, you know, a facelift or whatever is, is, is a big part of it. Cause there's a lot more competition, you know, there used to be more demand than there was properties. And that's clearly changed as people, you know, realized that Arizona's, you know, a, a pretty open market, you know, as far as legislation and everything. And then, you know, so it, it's, I mean, they've quadrupled the number of listings in the last three years. So it's, you, you got to step your game up as far as finding the house that's, you know, a little bit more unique. Yep. And so with that, I mean, you get those Pinterest worthy, you know, pictures of, you know, the hammock with the scenery and like all that sort right. of thing hot tub like those are those are features you could add to a property right once you find right. find the actual location is within proximity to maybe an airport maybe it is a little bit more remote but at the same time you're you're adding those things and i'm sure that you guys have tons of um, pointers and tips and things that people you know um you see probably golf greens i know down in arizona is a huge thing right the whole pool out green, yeah. Pool, oh yeah living scenario you know that's you have to have those in order to be competitive down there for other features that you know comparative properties um that are in the rental pool and with obviously with the onset of covid you know if if the property the more entertainment type amenities that the property has mm -hmm. the less you have to leave and so that you know every box that you can check towards you know self-containment you know if somebody's you know in you know quarantine or working from home why not do it where it's 70 and you can look outside at the pool or the putting green or whatever the more boxes you can check as far as amenities in that particular home the better because you don't have to leave at any point you know everybody's entertained right mm -hmm. yep that's a totally good point um so with that then too i guess <clears throat> want to talk about upfront costs so you've located a property you know obviously you kind of know what you're going to get you know per night um, and maybe an S, you know, estimated uh, income um, schedule, right? And so then it goes into you purchasing the property and then you're actually furnishing it. And I think that that's one thing that, um, you know, it's one thing to buy the property, but the next kind of feed is, okay, well, how do you furnish it, or furnish it and with what? And you do have to dedicate a lot of time and energy and effort into that because it's, you're buying forks, knives, and spoons, dishes, linens, like actual real everything. Food, and then putting together kind of the style and the vibe that you want for that. And I mean, Jen, you've done a really good job, I think, with all of them styling them. I follow you, you know, on social media where, you know, you're going in there and tweaking and doing those things. And I'm assuming that's something that we, we had furniture. So we just shipped it down and obviously a very unique taste for our, our Airbnb, but our short-term rental. Um, but that's something that you guys do too, right? Right. Yeah, buys a property down here and they don't have time to furnish it and they want 
to have us manage it. We can also furnish it, design it however they want. And we try to make every property that we do unique so that we're not having the same theme in every single property. Yeah, so I saw you guys had like a nautical theme one. Yeah, oh, yeah, Nantucket. Yeah, Nantucket. <laughs> yeah, the Nan yeah. And that, yeah, and that was actually um, designed by the owner himself. So he did a really oh. good job and we love it, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Cause then you also stand out when you have like that character, that different theme that's running through your house. You just, right. people on the other side, you know, the potential guests are looking at it and they're like, oh, this is cool. Cause they connect with that type of theme, right? Right, yeah, we want to appeal to everybody and everybody's taste, so. Yeah, that's good. Um, so can you give like a ballpark if someone's buying, let's say a three bedroom, two bath house, what you think it would be to like furnish all, all the rooms, just furniture, right? That, that someone probably would have to put in and then whatever that initial like pushes with supplies and all that sort of thing. One of our clients is out of the country. He actually purchased a, a property from our friend, John, you guys know, obviously, and he never even saw it. I mean, he was, he started looking at, you know, condos outside of HOA, condos inside HOA, and slowly kind of stepped up and then finally just pulled the trigger on a single family home with a pool in, in South Scottsdale that he never even saw. So Johnny got the keys and handed them over to us. So he still hasn't seen his property in person. And so we basically took that one, I mean, from square zero, you know, the, the walls and the floors, the, the property was renovated already. So the quality of the home was nice to begin with, but then you got, like you said, the knives and dishes and everything. And, and, you know, generally stepped up in that situation because I mean, it was literally everything. And I think that it probably came out to 12 to 12 or 13,000 when it was all said and done. Mm -hmm. And that's her being, you know, crafty as she is finding the deals and, you know, some other stuff as far as, you know, some different resources for furniture and some other things, but, you know, safe to say a house that name was a three bedroom, two bath house. Exactly, so, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. safe to say if it's from square zero, you're, you're some probably 15,000 if it's bare. Mm -hmm. 20, that sounds about right for sure. Cause you're doing TVs, you're doing, I mean, it's the gamut. And it also depends on how much time you have too. Cause if you have enough time to furnish it, then you can look for better deals. But when you're in a time crunch, finding deals is kind of hard because especially when you're waiting for things to show up in the mail so you're really going to like buy locally to furnish your place yep that's a good good point too and time is money as well so even though you might want to save hundred dollars on that nightstand <laughs> you're it's better yeah. for you to get it costing off. yourself 250 a night <laughs> yeah exactly cases. yeah so opportunity costs there for sure um all right. So is there anything you want to talk about? Like people have to take in consideration, like when they're identifying their first home, I think we've pretty much covered. The other things that you don't think about in some cases, you know, like, you know, the, the curb appeal, the landscaping, you mm -hmm. know, things like that. I mean, one of the things that we've run into lately, um, you know, when you're buying a house with a pool, you know, the equipment is really a, a big issue. You know, people have it inspected, but you know, if it's, you know, there's a lot of situations where, you know, that can get costly, you know, whether the pool, yeah, pools, <laughs> you guys know just as well as anybody. I mean, I, I think that we're more versed in, in the logistics of operating pool equipment more than we really would like to be. But, um, <laughs> you know, does the house have natural gas? You know, if the house has natural gas, then heating a pool is a lot more efficient than in some cases, if that's something you want to offer as an amenity, you know, and those types of things, solar, you know, things like that are obviously all perks if you're the owner when it comes to, you know, overall costs to run. So those are a couple of minor things that people overlook so easily 
you know, as far as equipment, we've got a, a, a Seattle buyer actually that we, we, you know, helped him. He bought the house furnished, so he didn't have to do a whole lot, but you know, had a, it had an older air conditioning unit that, you know, was working fine, but, you know, didn't want to have to, you know, have an issue where, you know, some guests were displaced because it went out when it's 115 degrees and went ahead and just did it up front, you know, pool heat, stuff like that, you know, getting all that out of the way, right. As is part of your initial investment. So it doesn't sting as much later, but you know, those are things that are often overlooked. House looks cool. You know, it's got some character, everything, but you know, if, if some of the equipment or some of the things that are, are, are powering your amenities, you know, are, are suspect and it, you know, it could be a expensive fix down the road. So basically during the inspection period of buying, you just have to make sure that you know what you're getting number one. And then number two, have money set aside for upgrading your systems to make sure that, you know, you're pretty much operating as close to new just right. so that you don't have any interruptions during your, your guest days and stuff like that. So I think we've kind of touched on, I guess, the challenging aspects. Um, if there's anything else you want to add, I guess, of owning a short-term rental, it's obviously time, um, you know, it takes for coordination. And I know if you could kind of speak in between when you're the process of like booking and, and you know, cleaner cleaners and all that sort of thing too. Cleaning part is, is a challenge in itself, just finding the right people, yeah. you know, and, and, I think, you know, we, we do know is, you know, obviously we're involved in Facebook groups and other sorts of, you know, groups that, you know, people share information and, and, you know, there's people that advocate strongly for doing it all on your own, whether you're a remote owner or not, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, having somebody on the ground obviously has a lot of value, but that's, that's a big part of it. If you're, you know, you have a cleaning crew that, you know, you trust for the most part, you know, it's easy for a cleaning crew to come through and, and dazzle you at their first, you know, couple of months, but then they start to get a little complacent. And if you're an absentee owner, you're really never going to know, you know, until you start to get some negative reviews. And by that point, it's, it, it's too late. So, you know, that poses one of the bigger challenges, obviously, is, is keeping up to speed when it comes to, you know, not just cleanliness, but now COVID level cleanliness, right. you know, as far as disinfecting and everything else. And, you know, that, that poses a challenge for remote owners, not, you know, more than obviously local owners, but uh, it's a challenge nonetheless. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, you don't want, you know, your guests showing up a little bit early and your cleaners not wearing masks or, you know, you want to make sure that you're disinfecting high touch surfaces. And that's probably one of our biggest challenges is just making sure that everybody is accountable, you know, and that's, you know, it, it's a little easier for us because, you know, now that I'm doing it full time, I can peek in and do quality control and, and some things like that. But you know, that comes from obviously all of our rentals being right in our backyard, but that I think is one of our biggest challenges is keeping them from getting complacent and, and you know, staying to that, that higher level. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's hospitality in general, right? So you have to right. kind of keep everyone who's on your team motivated because the end goal is to have happy guests, not just to clean the home. It's to actually have people walk into your property and feel comfortable and it's clean and, and ultimately get that good review that helps you in the end too. Rely on our cleaners too, to let us know when things are broken or when things are missing. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that into account as well too. So they're pretty much our all seeing eye when we're not at the property. Yep. And so then they just basically say, Hey, this, this is broken. Or we have like inventory of glasses that, you know, three glasses are broken or something like that. And then you guys go ahead and replenish or address whatever needs to happen at that point. Exactly. And that's something that's easily overlooked in most cases. You know, mm -hmm. you don't, if you, you take a basic inventory when the property's set up, but you could, something could go missing if you don't have people that are on top of it, you know, something right. could go missing three or four stays down the road. 
you know, and then you don't have any recourse when it comes to any sort of host protection from the booking portals or, or any sort of compensation. So, you know, time is, is of the essence with things like that. And if, if, you, if you don't have, you know, the people that are in the homes with an eye for the details, then, you know, you can miss out on an opportunity to make sure that you're compensated fairly for, you know, something that may happen or something that's missing or broken or any of those sorts of things. And I mean, when it comes to something as simple as a TV remote, you know, if they don't notice that the TV remote's there and then the next guests come and they're tearing the house apart, you know, next thing you know, they're pulling up a co- the couch cushions to try and find the TV remote. Maybe there's a Cheerio, you know, and now all of a sudden, they're, now all of a sudden their stay is, you know, Completely spiraling in the wrong direction, <laughs> even though it's something so simple, you know, it's just, those are things that a lot of investor owner operators, silly things like that, you just don't even think about. You just don't even think about And that's one of the things that clearly part of the reason we're here is because, you know, somebody going in and investing in a, in a property and they want to do a short-term rental four years ago, you could have, you know, gone to Ikea and decked the place out and made the beds and put a smart lock on and away you go. But that's not the way it is now. You know, you got to set yourself apart. And, you know, a lot of that comes with the logistical care of, you know, the day-to-day affairs of having it, you know, running it like a business. It's a lot changed. And you know, a lot of people now are, are going from staying in the, it has to be a hotel. It's like anyone and ho- a homeowner, anyone who is owning a property for short-term rental should think, okay, well, if I was walking into my property and like I was staying in a hotel, right? What would I expect in terms of service, quality, right. amenities, all those things. So really they should be looking at it from that perspective and, and the vent and people who contractors or, you know, cleaners who are also helping should also be looking at it from the other side in terms of servicing the property in that way too. So it sounds like you guys have it all completely dialed. But- somebody had a question. I don't know if we're oh. Leanne, oh. if your business is your business, a mix of owning properties for Airbnb, as well as managing short-term rentals, of other homeowners properties. I think we might've covered that, but yes, we, we invest in our own properties. We manage them side by side with, with our own properties. So our portfolio includes other people's properties that we manage as well as our own. Um, And it looks like Steven, uh, what is the best way to market your short-term rental? Obviously the tools that are in front of you, as far as Airbnb, VRBO um, there's, I mean, 40 plus booking platforms that you can, you can market your, your short-term listings on, you know, we use a channel manager that kind of helps us broadcast across a bigger spectrum, but, you know, obviously you start there because those are the, the more well-known Airbnb is kind of the, you know, when everybody says I own an Airbnb as opposed to a short-term rental, I mean, it's become a household name at this point, but, mm-hmm. but those are the resources that are right in front of you. And then clearly social media, your own website, you know, other forms of, of marketing are always helpful too. So um, I guess moving into the process, let's say, okay, you've furnished the place. Now you guys are kind of taking over. Um, I know that you've said in the past, the first 90 days is like the most critical you know, part. Why don't we talk about that a little bit when you're first releasing your property you know, to the market? So once you're at the point where you're ready to go live, we call it, obviously you've set the property up, you've staged it, you're, you're ready to go. You've checked all the boxes as far as everything that the house needs obviously to welcome guests. Um, you know, when I say the first 90 days is critical is because that's, you, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, you know, in the beginning, you know, your visibility is low. If you're not an established host, you know, you're fighting, you're a, a what is it? A small fish in a big pond. I mean, you're, you're literally trying to fight for visibility and that's, that's hundred percent key. If you're not showing up on the first second or even 10th page on Airbnb, you're likely not getting seen at all. 
And so a lot of the things that you do in the beginning, obviously listing with a management company such as ourselves, I mean, we're super host 10 times over, premier partners with VRBO, a lot of that plays into the algorithms as far as your placement. Mm -hmm. um, going in it with one property on your own fresh is, I mean, you're fighting, you know, and at that point it typically requires, you gotta be the cheapest one, you know, or you gotta really stand out as far as some special feature or something like that. And, and let's be honest, most of the properties don't have that ability. Um, but you get, if you only have five reviews and one of them is bad, you know, now all of a sudden you're a 4.0 and it just triggers all of the algorithms on any of the marketing platforms in the wrong direction, right. you know? So that's why the first 90 days is key because that's typically where you're starting to build up your, your reviews and you have a limited number of them. So that's when one can really throw you off. Once you get, you know, some of our properties I think are over a hundred, mm -hmm. you know, then a bad review is not going to take you out of the, you know, out of the visibility range. But in the first 90 days, if you're lucky, you're going to get 10 or 12, you know, reviews. And at that point, if one of those goes sour because you overlooked something or, you know, missed something or made somebody unhappy or whatever, then that's when it's absolutely crucial. Yep. And so I know we have talked before too about, um, once you get that property kind of on autopilot, why don't we speak to kind of like the, the time frame? say it's up and running, you have good reviews, you know, you're, you're maintaining it and keeping, you know, um, the momentum on the property and bookings going. Um, but I think we had had a conversation offline about um, just kind of at that point where it gets to that sweet spot where it becomes just kind of turnkey and just a, a pure investment. I mean, I think once you've cycled through all four seasons or peak, mid peak, Arizona, obviously it's sunny every day. I mean, for the most part, you know, just the range in temperature is really the seasons, but you know, you've got, once you've, you know, once you've gone through, whenever you start, you know, a calendar year from that point, you know, that way you've started to build up some reputation. You started to get a little visibility. You've gotten some people through your home, however you had to go about doing that. And, you know, now you're, you're rated higher. You've got people that are leaving comments saying this is the best Airbnb I've ever stayed at. You know, that's when the longevity factor kicks in, you know, and then you kind of know, you know, really, I mean, the full on cruise control autopilot is probably at the start of that second year. Mm -hmm you know, because then you start to get some repeat clientele and, and, you know, it's easy. You've already got an entire, you know, an entire year under your belt. You kind of know the peaks and valleys. You got a clear understanding of the events and all of the other things going on. And that, that's when it really becomes, you know, kind of a set it and forget it type deal. If you've got the right, you know, policies in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something to remember too. There's a lot of upfront costs, but at the same time, you know, you kind of have to, you have to see what the ebbs and flows are of your market too. So wherever you're looking at purchasing, what are the peak season? What's the low season? What does that actually mean to the rates and, and are people renting when it's 120 degrees out, you know, is it, or, you know, when they can't actually go and it's, you know, the property's buried in four feet of snow, right? kind of have to kind of look at all those different factors before before purchasing or say hey this is the right property for me i'm okay if it's you know not uh, usable four months out of the year because the other months make up for that uh, cost of the property right and you got to come up with a strategy there's another question from steven says when starting out is it best to set pricing below market to get traffic and reviews it's there's kind of two two answers to that same question it really is going to depend on your finances. I mean, if you have the ability to, you know, maybe just it, it, 
really depends on your strategy. You know, if you're if you're looking just to break even, or if you're looking to excel, or you're looking to you know start stacking reviews or traffic, you can definitely price yourself below the market and you can fill your place. But you start to open yourself up to the wrong types of clientele and some other things. It really comes down to that's probably something that's more of a strategy for somebody managing their own property on their own and just launching into it because that's really you know, the challenge is the visibility again, and, and being the lowest to market in your, you know, your comp set is, is going to get you at the top of the, of the visibility. So right. that's a strategy. There's different strategies for different, you know, programs. If you're a single owner launching your first Airbnb, then, then that strategy is probably a little bit more effective. You know, you just have to stay on top of the guests a little bit more, because if you're in that lower price point, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, you know, you can, you can, you know, minimize the, the, the minimum stays and all of that stuff to fill your property and chase those, you know, fit first 15 or 20 reviews and then kind of work your way up. And that's really what we had to do in the beginning. I mean, mm -hmm. we were, you know, in our condos, when we were brand new, you know, we were, there was 25 of them in the same complex, but, you know, we had to come in a little bit lower than everybody else to get rolling. But, you know, the strategy is different if you step up and, and, you know, you use management right out of the gate, because then your visibility is way higher just based on the reputation of, of the management profile. What, just kind of going down our list of questions that we had our outline here, um, what, so any myths about owning short-term rentals that you could think of? I mean, the myth that you can just throw it together and put it online and oh. it's going to fill up is, you know, again, four years ago, that would have happened because you've got more travelers than you did Airbnbs, you know, and, and even six years ago, you know, even two years ago, mm -hmm. You know, but it's, 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 a, there's the, you got to get more skin to the game at this point to, to be competitive. You know, the myth is you can come down here, you can buy a property, it's Arizona, throw some furniture in it, slap a smart lock on the door and away we go. Well, that's, it's certainly not that easy. So that's probably, and, and, and I guess another myth at this point is that, you know, everyone out there, as far as, you know, communities and HOAs and governing parties and everything are, are going to flat out shut them down. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's another myth. And that's something that I think, you know, a lot of people have in the back of their mind, you know, when they're starting this process, you know, is the myth that, you know, these, these municipalities are going to flat out shut down short-term rentals. Yep. And we could kind of talk a little bit about that too, because I know in Arizona, um, there really hasn't been talk of that. The HOAs are a huge thing, right? For different, um, and I know for us uh, purchasing down there, we think of HOAs as in like gated communities, which I know you guys have down there, um, but more so like the condominium buildings, which are very, very stringent, not allowing the, the Airbnbs. Um, but actually where we ended up purchasing, there is an HOA. Um, and so, but it's not a gated community. It's like any regular street. Right. Right? You have to be careful and actually Here's go- This is a unique scenario in itself. So that's not the norm. Yeah. There's like sub little subdivisions though that have right. these ways that they don't look like a cohesive community whatsoever. So you do have to be a little bit careful when you're down there to make sure you know what you're kind of getting yourself into for sure. And there's there's some investors that just don't care, or no. you know, <laughs> or you know, it, it really depends on on the, the property. You know, your your example, the property that you guys bought is a compound for the most part. You know, no one yeah. really know if people are coming and going because it's gated and everything else. So you know, clearly, you know, if you're looking at it as a purely an investment platform, you definitely want to stay away from an HOA. There's no, you, you, no one setting aside budget for legal battle, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, to protect your HOA. But, 
you know, in some cases, if the HOA did put their foot down, mm -hmm. you know, you got to look at the investment from a standpoint of, okay, if I did go long-term instead, you know, is it still going to cover the costs or is it still going to make me a little bit of money or, or whatever. But, but general rule of thumb is if you're flat out looking to invest in a short-term rental is to avoid the HOA altogether. Okay. The other scenario, I guess, if someone's looking at using it partial, like part-time, right? So that's another kind of buyer base that, you know, maybe they can, you know, and that would be maybe in our scenario too, where, you know, we have an HOA, but we're looking at using it for a good portion of the time too. So that would be another scenario where it could, you know, could work. Someone's and there's, working. there's legal loopholes, but nobody wants to no. tread down that path. I mean, there's, you, you can, there's ways around it, but it's, just, it's not worth it to, if, if you can identify a property that doesn't, you know, and it's at the same level or better or worse or whatever, or close to the same level as one inside of an HOA, you definitely steer towards one that's not all right. So with any success stories that you guys kind of want to talk about, I know we talked about kind of the miss and the, the more of like the heavier stuff when it comes to, you know, getting set up. But um, I know that you guys with the, the 20 properties that you guys do have, um, you know, what, what are you seeing in terms of numbers, people making per month? Um, anything specific there? I mean, we've had a couple, the last couple of months have been a record for us so we're actually doing pretty well um covid i mean i guess this kind of goes back to another myth i mean covid everyone thinks that covid killed the short-term rental market but mm -hmm. to be honest with you i mean maybe again those you know you own one property and you know it's your lifeblood kind of deal and you got a handful of cancellations or whatnot and it you know ruins your day but for the most part you know covid kind of hit us for six weeks and then it's really actually spiked our business because of how you know in depth some of the lockdowns are in other parts of the country you know people are are traveling a lot more domestically just to escape that you know leaving seattle when it's pouring down rain and you can't go to any restaurants and coming to arizona for 10 days or 20 or 30 days yeah. you know and and doing it in the peak season when it comes to a revenue perspective you know starting really November one and ending, you know, the end of April is kind of our peak season, you know, and so we get, you know, higher rents and whatever, but now we're not, not only getting higher rents, but you know, you're getting a lot more quality longer term stays. You know, I think that I did a, I, I pulled up some numbers and, you know, prior to COVID the year prior to COVID, you know, going into the spring peak season, the lead time, meaning how far in advance somebody was booking was like 119 days. Mm -hmm. You know, now the only difference, and then the average stay was like 4.7 days. Now with COVID, the way that everything is, now the lead time's a lot less. People are booking a little bit less because of the uncertainty, but you know, now the lead time I think might be 30, 30 days, 35 days, but the average stay is like 8.5 days, you know? So the length of stay is, is almost doubled, you know, yep. granted the lead time is a lot less, but you know, so you're not getting that, you know, warm and fuzzy feeling that your entire spring is already booked. You know, but it's, you know, it, it, it's working out relatively well and we're rolling into the peak season and it's full steam ahead. Yeah. And that is interesting. Cause again, that's, that's COVID people making those short-term decisions of, Hey, let's just get out of here now. What's available. I mean, actually people up here are doing that for the holidays, right? Right now, everything's booked in, let's say, you know, the surrounding area of like an hour and a half. Right. 
And so that's that's definitely something that's out there. And then the extended stays are, well, people could work from, from home and work from wherever they are. So why don't they just basically, you know, park themselves for a week? And actually kids are, you know, even if they have children, children's are they're doing oh. remote learning. So it's like, right. you know, you just take your kids from their home school and take them to vacation school. <laughs> and <laughs> right. And I think the aftermath of the uncertainty of COVID only plays into the short-term rental, you know, program. I mean, it's it, just like you said, every part of that is true. And we're experiencing all of that. I mean, people, I mean, it's, you know, Chicago, Minnesota, mm -hmm. Seattle, Portland, California, you know, where they can't even go, you know, in some cases to the grocery store after 10 PM, right. you know, it's crazy. And Arizona, I mean, we did have some shutdowns, you know, for a small period of time, but you know, for the most part, you know, our, the government at this point has said, okay, instead of shutting down the economy, let's figure out ways to work around, you know, the restrictions. So, you know, Ducey pledged, you know, however many millions of dollars to helping restaurants extend their patios and, you know, even in, onto the sidewalks in some cases right. so that they can, Lots you of know, outdoor seating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can mm -hmm. sit outside and, and enjoy a meal instead of being closed. So, I mean, we go a different spot for lunch almost every day. I mean, there's no, there's no real restrictions. I mean, outside of having to wear a mask and, you know, you might have to wait in line a little bit before you can go into one of the stores mm -hmm. at Fashion Square. But outside of that, it's, you know, everything's pretty much, you know, status quo and everything's pretty much operating normally. Yep. But evolving to what the kind of the modern day standards are with, you know, making sure everyone's wearing masks, everything's sanitized. But sort of thing too. I mean, even just us going down there. Yeah. You can go out to a restaurant if you want, or you don't. And the good thing again about Airbnb is that you could stay for seven to 10 days and you can go to Costco and fill up your fridge and you could stay right there and not have to leave actually the property at all. You're just in a completely different environment and scenery. Um, and then that goes back to your actual house, having all the amenities and stuff one would need not to have to leave the property. So right. if it a desk that's set up as a work from home or and you have like a children's room that has little children's desks in them or w whatever it is right it's all right. those that you can make to get make your property more um you know stand out among the rest more functional and just you know a better experience than than what we've have experienced before on the, the short-term rental platform um, and then even in hotels, right? Because then that goes to, well, what, what is the hotel industry going to do? Because um, it feels like everyone is, you know, no one wants to be stuck in a hotel room because they're not going to be in their room the whole time. The whole point of a hotel is to be, you know, out kind of more social environment. You're you're not hunkering down in your, you know, 300 foot room. Um, I think people are, are, you know, the hotel aspect of it and just in basic, just research, watching people's behavior you know, I think the the lobbies and the elevators and the people that are actually do have a genuine concern for, you know, their social distancing and all of that stuff. I mean, who wants to go to a hotel where you have to wait, you know, in line six feet apart to even check in and then you got to wait because the elevator only takes two or four people at a time, you know, and you have to stand in each corner of it. And mm -hmm. then you want to go up, you know, go downstairs to have dinner, but you can't get a reservation because they're operating at 25% capacity. You know, it's just, it takes away from the whole reason that you do that. You know, not only that, but right now, you know, for investors that are in whatever state domestically, you know, in the United States, domestic travel probably for the next at least year or two is going to take precedence over international travel. And, you know, I read an article the other day that some ridiculous percentage of travelers are traveling within 300 miles of home. 
you know, little staycations. I mean, we were looking at doing one ourselves going up, you know, to, to Flagstaff to see some snow for a week. You know, it's just, there's a lot more emphasis on, you know, staying local, you know, and then keeping your entire family in a space that no one else is coming into. You know, you don't, you know, you don't want maids coming into your room every day to, to turn it over, but then you right. want to stay clean or whatever the case. So, you know, people are, are trending towards, you know, whole home stays, you know, like what, what a short-term rental. Uh, Steven yep. actually put a question on here, says, what is average occupancy on a yearly basis? And this probably varies from location, but what is the general expectation in a perfect world? I mean, <laughs> in a perfect <laughs> in world, a perfect it's 90% world. occupancy, you know, 12 months out of 12 months. But um, I mean, if you take the peaks and valleys, I mean, I think that we started out in our first year and we added our second property after six months, I think we were about 58% for the year, but those same two properties in the, at the end of year two were closer to 85%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously there's, it, it has a lot to do with the property itself, but this year it would be next to impossible to even gauge. But I think that, you know, we're going to probably end up somewhere around over a portfolio of I think nine that would have been functioning for the entire year, somewhere around 70%. That's still really good given everything mm -hmm. that you know, has oh, happened yeah. during the year. Um, so moving, I guess, post COVID, right? So we have the vaccine that's kind of coming um, in now and into play and uh, we're kind of forward thinking for 2021. Um, do you have, I know we've learned a lot during this year, obviously your business model has probably pivoted towards more of the cleaning and like just the different processes that you guys do uh, for interaction of guests and stuff like that. Um, are there anything that you're gonna take from, I guess, the, the systems and the process this year and, and just kind of continue on, like it ended up being something that, you know, was great for you. I know for me, there's tons of things that happened that we evolved our business. Um, is there anything specific that you've kind of had to adapt and then? I mean, it's definitely not going to hurt to take the extra precautions when it comes to disinfecting. I mean, I think COVID as a whole has raised a more public awareness just to basic hygiene, you know, yeah. and unfortunately that, you know, that wasn't focused on prior to that. But, you know, I think that we'll probably just continue to implement, you know, the cleaning regimen, you know, forever. I mean, it's just a more sterile environment, you know, from a cleaning perspective, not a style perspective, but a more sterile environment overall right. is just a better way to live, you know, in general, whether you're on vacation or in your own home. So I think that that's probably something that will definitely carry over. Yep. You know, I don't know how long we can expect, you know, our cleaners to wear masks while they're cleaning and stuff, but you know what, it, I think that that's something that we will carry over for, you know, as long as, you know, it makes sense and, you know, the extra cleaning protocol, cause it's just, you know, I made a mention to our managing or the manager of our cleaners and, and Jen yesterday, we walked in on, on the cleaners being extremely thorough, mm -hmm. you know, without us, you know, on top of them doing it, we walked in on them dropping off supplies and I was extremely pleased with the extra precautions that they were taking. And, and I think that, you know, we'll let that ride and, and, and keep that implemented for, you know, the foreseeable future for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do think going forward um, for 2021, though, I do, and actually future years, right? I think that, um, you know, the people are going to gravitate, like you said, to the domestic stays. I do think that the short-term rental um, aspect of things, people want to go from a home to a home. They want to have those amenities. They want to have that kind of all-inclusive um, 
service, all-inclusive, you know, property. Um, and so maybe that's something that we potentially will see more grab happen more in 2021 with all these different properties and, and the service offerings too, maybe even within the, the properties and the hosts that, that, you know, people are coming in, maybe a refrigerator is full, you know, that there's a shopping list that's already been, you know, um, checked off the list everything's in the refrigerator and the people just kind of come right in and they have everything there so they don't even have to you know leave the property um those are definitely services that we're integrating into our day-to-day affairs on you know on specific properties that you know are higher end properties i mean we offer a handful of concierge type services you know just like you could expect from calling the concierge desk at the hotel you right. know if you need some help with a dinner reservation or something like that prior to your arrival if you don't have time to handle it you know, there's certain things that we can do just through relationships that we've built, you know, with other people, you know, we've got guests staying at one of our places right now that we've got a private chef going out there today, you know, to do a surprise dinner for their folks. You know, there's a lot of that. And we've always offered, you know, to go out and do fill a grocery list, you know, ahead of time for a small fee and, you know, make it a more comfortable arrival for a lot of people. So, you know, our, our, our services are evolving too for, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the demand based on COVID and, you know, not wanting to go out into the public in some cases. And so, you know, our programs have evolved from that too. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. You guys are the best really up in the game in terms of, you know, what, what people have to do to compete, which is great. And there's plenty of competition. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more, I mean, people as, you know, more properties get thrown kind of into, you know, this, the rental pool, it's more, it's definitely important to kind of set yourself apart. And we've already talked about that, but you guys are doing a great job. Um, is there anything trend-wise that you're seeing kind of with your clients um, that they're purchasing using it as a secondary home? Or are you seeing like people just purely as an investment? Are you seeing people actually moving maybe from their home situations and renting rooms? I mean, we're all over the spectrum. I mean, it's right now it's, you know, in the beginning, we were out searching for clients and now they're searching for us. But I think that, I mean, we're, we, our most recent properties, like I said, uh, an investor bought it from Barbados, didn't, never even seen it. You know, that's, that's a situation, obviously that's, that's an isolated situation, but you know, uh, we've got a woman that had, you know, bought her house, lived in it forever and now moved in with her significant other and it's sitting there and, and decided that she wants to put it on the market. You know, or we've got one that's, you know, an, an interesting situation. He lives in it and it, he rents it as often as he can and goes and stays in his apartment, you know, when he's not using it. When he gets to use his house and lay by the pool, he's happy. But when he has to stay at his apartment and make money, he's happy too. So, you know, it's it's a strange you know, kind of bundle of situations lately, you know, like the one that we're sitting in right now, the guy built it from the ground up, you know, custom architecture you know, tried to go a different way, some long-term lease the whole building and come full circle back to, you know, we're going to go ahead and, and do a short-term rental, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that one of the things, you know, before we go that a lot of people, you know, we always get, why wouldn't I just do it long-term more security and long-term, you know, it's, it's, you know, one of the things that people don't recognize when it comes to a long-term tenant and, you know, we've been tenants, we rent, you know, just to keep our, you know, our options open as far as investing. But what people don't understand is when you have a long-term renter, you know, if, if they break something or they put a hole in a wall or they, you know, drop wine on the carpet or whatever, they don't have to address that issue right away. You know, they might say, okay, well, I got to make sure I, you know, clean that before I leave, or I got to fix that before I, you know, before my lease is up or any of those types of things. 
and without proper notice and, and a real hands-on landlord, you're not, you don't visit, you don't get to see your property. You know, it might be a year, it might be six months, however long your lease is. And, and I think that people kind of sweep issues under the carpet and then all of a sudden it's time to, you know, we got to move out. Oh, shit, we got to go fix all of these things or, and, you know, and then either say, you know, to hell with it, keep my deposit. And then you get stuck with this, but with a short-term rental, you know, not only are you making 30 to 50% more money on your investment, you know, clearly because in nightly rates, as opposed to monthly rates, there's a huge, you know, difference there, but you've got, you know, a couple sets of eyes every single time your place gets clean. I mean, who doesn't want their house clean eight times a month, <laughs> you know, whether, you know, every single your house is being cleaned eight times a month and there's a set of eyes in your place, you know, every single time it's cleaned plus the time your, your manager, you know, does a walkthrough, you know, so any little issues are addressed right away. I mean, there's just, there's, there's really less risk for the most part in a short-term rental, you know, outside of the people that are leery of, I don't want somebody throwing a rager in my house and trashing everything, but mm -hmm. clearly there's precautions that come into play that prevent that as well. So there's really, it, it's a fail safe. So you know, and, if you and if you have to go long-term to cover your mortgage, it's always in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, there's no reason, you know, if, if you have the ability to do it, there's no reason not to at least give it a shot, you know, yep. because there, you'll find that it's way more lucrative, you know, in the, in the long run, you know, if, if you keep a short-term rental operating, you know, four or five years and you really get the, the, you know, the repeat clientele and all that stuff and get it to the point where it's just functioning at 85% occupancy, you know, month in and month out the properties pay for themselves and then some, your next property, your next investment. But right. that's one of the biggest things is when people are like, oh, why don't I long-term rent it instead? There's more security in that. And it's just entirely false. Totally. No, I see that. That's very, very, very good point that I never really kind of thought about. Um, one thing you did say though, that I think we should touch on before we finish up here um, is the, the quality of people, I guess, the screening um, aspect of when you're booking um, and this is something I kind of learned through you guys, um, how you guys are actually able to kind of screen based on people who have reviews and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so why don't you talk, I guess, a little bit about that? Because I, I think that is like a nightmare scenario where someone throws a rager and, and let's say the TVs are broken or things get stolen or, you know, all that, then that very, very extreme scenario. Um, but how can people best go about preventing that from happening? We don't allow instant booking, which that means we can't really screen our clientele if you have that. So there's usually like a pre-approval process. So we'll, you know, look at their profile, um, look at their reviews. Um, look where they're from. Where they're from. Are they local? Some We've noticed that um, people who are local are trying to, not trying to, but they're more prone to, prone to like, having parties at the place, which we, that's happened to us. So we have to be weary about that. Um, and then we also, um, at a lot of our properties, we offer noise aware, which helps us keep track of the noise levels in the house. Mm -hmm. So that helps as well too. Good. Yeah, the, the, the booking platforms won't allow you to discriminate. You know, there's, there's strategic ways and it's definitely not any form of discrimination. I mean, we've had local guests that have been, you know, an absolute pleasure to host, but mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, the majority of them, it, it, you know, the situation isn't, you know, pleasant in most cases. But, um, you know, we've had kind of these trends 
you know, where at one point, you know, it was almost all locals. And not, when I say local, it's not somebody coming down from Sedona or coming up from Yuma. It's somebody from Phoenix wanting to stay in Scottsdale, you know, and that's always a little suspect to begin with, you know, but you can set it up, you know, like she was saying, without having instant booking, you know, you can have instant but we like to just kind of have that opening message because, you know, on a, to, to formulate an inquiry, they have to type a message, mm-hmm. you know, at that point you can kind of, you know, thumb through it without, you know, discriminating. You can ask some strategic questions that'll, you know, kind of weed out the riffraff for the most part. And, and I mean, we've hosted coming up on almost 2000 stays in, in four years and, you know, we've only had one or two issues. And I mean, the, the, the significant issue that was arising was in a property over Labor Day weekend. And we flat out, you know, she wanted to have a birthday party and, you know, we did all of our screening and she rented, we allowed her to rent. And then, you know, we, the noise alert started happening and, you know, I, I went over to check on the property and she's got a DJ in, in the kitchen, you know, the first, <laughs> the first, uh, the first noise alert happened and we, you know, gave her a warning. The second one happened. I went over there. And I mean, I think by nine 30, we were, you know, realized what was going on and the entire house was empty by 1030, you know, with the cooperation and everything. So we nipped that in the bud before it, you know, it got out of hand, but you know, those nightmare scenarios are extremely rare to begin with. Unfortunately, you only hear about those, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to media, especially here in Arizona. I mean, if, the, if there's a, a party, it's always at an Airbnb. If it's, if somebody's getting beat up or shot at a party, it's, you, you never see that happening at, you know, a house in Mesa that the parents are out of town. It's always an Airbnb you know, whether it is or it isn't, but you know, there's a lot of fail safes that prevent that from happening. I mean, we've, yeah. we've had, you know, like I said, coming up on 2000 guests and, you know, I've had two very, you know, rare scenarios and it's, you know, we do a lot. I mean, there's always new gimmicks and tricks to, you know, figuring that part of it out, but you can set yourself up to where, you know, you've got a minimum age, they've got to be recommended by another host they got to have all forms of, of verification. You know, there's, there's a lot of fail safes that are built into the booking platforms, but then there's also some fail safes that comes from strategic messaging, you know, back and forth before you, you know, agree to take a booking in the first place. Cause we don't necessarily, you know, just not take a booking from somebody with zero reviews, mm-hmm. you know, but we'll dig a little deeper, you know, maybe they've been on the platform for a couple of years, you know, as a host, or maybe they, you know, they haven't used it and, you know, this is their first time to really delve into it there's some quality, you know, guests in there still. So we're kind of rounding out our hour here and thank you um, for answering all those questions. I know it was super helpful and I love talking to you guys. <laughs> um, so anything else you want to touch on about your um, like services that you offer just so people kind of know what you guys do? I know we touched on a lot of it, but we're at a point right now where, you know, I, I mean, we just kind of decided collectively that, you know, we do have the ability to take on a, a few more clients. I mean, we're, you know, we're selective um, at a certain extent, but, you know, we're, we do have the ability for the first quarter of next year to start working with some more clients. You know, I've, like I said, I've transitioned into doing it full time and, and Jen's probably not that far behind. Um, so, you know, we do have some opportunity if there is some people that are interested, you know, to take the next step, just like your friend, you know, that we're working with right now, Kellen. Um you know, so we do have some opportunity out there for sure. And, and, you know, we are evolving our, our things, you know, we've got some, some exciting things that we're going to start implementing into, you know, our processes and, and the guest experience that, you know, we don't necessarily want to share, but they're coming. Um, but yeah. there's, you know, it's just, it's not as scary as it, th- as it seems. I mean, if anybody's watching, that's, 
interested in, in investing. It's, you know, getting over that initial fear of just the dollars is really the hardest part. Mm -hmm. um, Steven asked is, doesn't Airbnb vet folks? Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, they, you know, they screen and, and they eliminate the, the bad apples, but, mm -hmm. you know, there's really no way to fully, you know, screen out their clientele. I mean, you can, you can kill one profile and open up another one in, in 30 seconds. So it's not, you know, they don't do it as much as you would like them to do, but they're getting better. Again, thank you, Jen and Rick, so much from Old Town Rental um, coming on here, chatting uh, more. I'll post um, your uh, contact information for everyone so they can reach out. Um, and then if there's any questions of me, just feel free to, to reach out to me as well. And um, thank you for having us. Yeah. And I hope you guys have wonderful holidays. We'll see you just after the new year, maybe. Yeah, sounds like yeah. it. <laughs> We're really All right, looking we'll forward to it. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Happy holidays. Bye-bye.